Hi, I'm Wade Ierly, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream. In this podcast, we introduce you to thought leaders who are shaping the lives of the next generation to discuss the challenges and innovations shaping higher education and how we can adapt to give students a strong foundation for their futures. Today, I'm joined by Davis Warnock, managing partner at Mercado's Partners Prelude. Prelude supports entrepreneurs and experienced founders who are building deep customer relationships through product leadership and nimble execution. Using a proprietary sourcing technology applied to underserved geographies provides access to a continuous flow of well-priced opportunities for Prelude. Before this, he was at the Association for Corporate Growth, the global community for middle market M&A dealmakers and business leaders focused on driving growth. Davis, thanks for joining me. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell us about Mercado. Uh, give us sort of the, the story of the firm and, and your time there. Yeah, uh, so Mercado Partners, uh, founded back in 2007, was uh, initially focused on growth investing and has had this vision for many years to become a multi-fund or a multi-strategy house. And today, uh, we see a Mercado Partners um, as a platform of funds. We have that core marquee fund that's uh, now been branded Traverse that still focuses on growth investing in uh, technology and consumer branded products. Um, we bolted on just recently uh, the fund that I run, which is Prelude. Uh, Prelude is the venture arm of uh, Mercado Partners. We look at everything that is uh, on the smaller end of the technology scale uh, for Traverse. We're focused on B2B SaaS infrastructure and cybersecurity investing. We also have a direct secondary fund and also a food and beverage buyout fund. Um, the direct secondary fund is called Alpha and the food and beverage buyout fund is called Savory. So those are the four practices today uh, that make up Mercado Partners. We're trying to create a, a product for each life cycle uh, for an entrepreneur or a business. And uh, you know, it's coming coming along nicely and, and uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think we first crossed paths, I don't know, seven, eight years ago when I was, you know, building surf air and running an airline and, uh, and you were, Mercado was wholly focused on growth phase, uh, which, which made it a fit then. And, and, uh, and you guys have sort of definitely expanded the reach of, of things you're looking at since then. How do you think education has played a role in where you're at today? And by that, I mean, you don't get to, you know, manage a fund unless you've, you've learned some things along the way and had some experiences. How do you think education set you up? Yeah. You know, education, um, especially my time in college really taught me about myself. And I think that's one of the most important things about uh, higher education. I had this grandiose vision that I wanted to be an architect and quickly learned that, um, you know, through some of my math classes, that might not be the best route for me. And so I started focusing uh, more of my learning in college around um, entrepreneurship. I actually got an entrepreneurship degree at the University of Utah with a slight focus on uh, new venture finance, you know, took some new venture finance classes and, and tried to understand what that world looks like in supporting private companies. And then, uh, you know, went off and got an MBA uh, at a local college here in Salt Lake at Westminster. And that really set me on the path to understand this side of the world. And it's all about sort of who, you know, um, my father was one of the early founders of, um, you know, private investing here in the state. And so I, during my college years, I actually fell on this side of the table. I founded a revenue-based financing firm uh, my last year of college. 
and started um, putting what I had learned in higher education to work. And that has just morphed into, you know, being a GP and I feel super blessed uh, to be here. As you, you know, look to make investments in founders, I hear a lot that, you know, we invest in, in the team and the people more than the idea or the concept. How do you identify those folks? Like what, is, what are the characteristics of leadership or, or are there educational things in their background? What is it that you look for that really makes someone jump out to you as someone that you wanna invest in or associate with or be around? You know, if I really break it down and I'm honest with myself, their time at college or higher education um, in the diligence process is actually meaningful. Sometimes I breeze over it, but the things that I find in people that have gone through it um, that are now founding businesses are the stick or um, their ability to uh, engender true grit in who they are. Their time, uh, you know, going through to the, their degree, whether that was higher education or even, you know, graduate school has provided them with that just stick with it and make your dreams come true uh, type of mentality. And that's a super big turn on when you're looking for a really good investment. Uh, the other thing is network. I think one thing that's, uh, you know, been understated, but is now uh, sort of a focus for people um, is the network that you can create. Uh, by just getting out there and, uh, you know, going through the process of higher education. And uh, for those that don't have access to it, I think that that's one of the greatest follies in life is those that have access to higher education seem to me to have better opportunities uh, later on in life because of the networks and the relationships and the friendships that they create as they go through the process. You know, that's really interesting you say that. There's this little a tidbit in the data that we've discovered. So I obviously live in data around higher education and their outcomes all the time. And and one of the things we saw is that, uh, you know, for instance, attending Harvard or getting into Harvard rather is predictive of your lifetime earnings. And that kind of makes sense, right? Like we all know what Harvard is, but that actually attending it uh, doesn't change your lifetime earnings. Uh, huh. That if you, if you get into Harvard and you get into Oklahoma State, if you're the kind of kid who gets into Harvard, you're going to be top of your class at, you know, at a state school. And so you actually have the same outcome. But and so and so that kind of makes sense. But the third piece goes to this conversation around sort of network and who you know and who you meet. Um, and it feeds into who you love. But attending Harvard, while not predictive of your lifetime earnings, is predictive of your household earnings in large part because where you go to school determines who you marry. Uh, not because you necessarily meet them there or gonna get married in college, but because this becomes your professional network, right? Go forward and these are the people you're gonna know in the next phase of your life. And so um, so it, it, it's a weird way for that to show up what you're talking about, but that, that network certainly matters a lot. You, you shifted majors and, and uh, full disclosure, I, I actually thought I was gonna be an architect too and got into some classes and realized that other people had talent. <laughs> and what I had was want to, but not bad enough to get beat out by all the people with talent. So I switched. So as you as you were talking about how you know college demonstrates grit and grad school demonstrates grit, how do you look at that? You know the um, the switching of the careers and that the finding of yourself that happens in that period, which which in my view is a critical part of you know leadership is is, is a little bit of the breadth as well. I think finding out who you are uh, really happens in that moment in life. Um, up until then, you're trying to mirror people that you look up to. And I feel like having to rely on yourself 
um, in large part to be able to get through that process of higher education allows you to not only find who you are, but actually start having respect for who that person is becoming. And that is where I see a lot of the leadership qualities coming out. You get a lot of confidence in your thoughts, your abilities, your beliefs, um, the things that you know you could accomplish if you just put your heart and mind to it. And I believe that that's where those leadership qualities start to emerge. Um, and you can start seeing people step out of their own bounds and uh, really start making a future for themselves. Yeah, I love that. That makes total sense. So in the moment that we're in now in the pandemic, right, where things on college campuses have changed and, and things in businesses are changing, how do you think, uh, you know, how do you think those leaders are shifting or adapting? What, what are the sort of near, we kind of are living the near-term experience, but what, what are those medium and long-term consequences of the, the moment that we're in right now? Yeah, the moment that we're in, um, to my point earlier, I'm a little bit worried about the ability to network effectively. And maybe that's just because I'm a little bit old school. I love to network by pressing the flesh, trying to say smart things, really making a moment of meeting somebody in person. And right now, students are having to really do that virtually uh, to a large degree. Um, so I worry about that a little bit uh, on a go forward basis, uh, the networking part of higher education, the leadership side uh, that you bring up, I believe that they are now learning skills about how to learn about how to be effective about how to run teams and groups uh, virtually that is going to play in the long game uh, here moving forward. I don't know what the future holds, but if you know, if to a large part, we have a lot of virtual um, connectivity going on in the world of business moving forward. I think the people coming out of education today will be helping to um, shape that world and can teach us a few things about uh, running a world efficiently, uh, you know, in that mode. That's so interesting. You know, as I, I reflect on my own experience, I, I didn't even I didn't even know you were supposed to apply to college, right? So I, I drove to a school in August and it was an hour from home and asked how to sign up for a dorm and, um, and, and got in because a kind-hearted registrar essentially took pity on me. And I remember, you know, to, to this day, I have an association with uh, Dr. Shari Bax. She was my political science professor. And, uh, and, and she, you know, she had office hours and you could go see her. And some of the some of the experience in college that I that I cherished the most was her and Dr. Paul Chambers, who was my economics professor, being able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them and engage with the material sort of outside of the traditional lecture experience. That's going to be a whole lot harder for, for kids to do that's online. I, I think you you're you're definitely nailing something there or, or, or highlighting one of the challenges there because you know to this day both both Dr. Chambers and Dr. Bax um, I, I would consider friends and I, I've you know, had dinner with them when I go back through, you know, the, the small town my, my, my undergraduate institution was in, uh, Warrensburg, Missouri. And, uh, and I think Dr. Bax is now like provost of student experience. I mean, she's, you know, moved up in her career as well. And it's been a, a relationship that I, that I kind of cherish. I actually look back, I'm a little embarrassed at who I was as a student sometimes, but you know, we were all 18, so. A hundred percent, I agree with that. Uh, my experience in that same mode was, I tried to become best friends with every professor I had. And I might say that I only got the grades I did because I did that. I spent more hours uh, 
with those te- with those professors in their office hours than I believe most students would because that's the way I had to learn. I had to learn more on a one-on-one basis and I had to learn, uh, take a little bit longer to learn things that people were garnering inside the classroom, but also yeah. it taught me how to um, ask for exactly what the deliverable was that they were looking for and to be able to provide that spot on. And I believe that that's helped me in my career. Um, being able to understand the exact deliverable that's been asked of me and just providing that up, you know, whether it was exactly what I believed my work should be was tailored because of what they actually wanted to see. And uh, I, I wish I had had the maturity to realize how valuable that would be or to, or to think that through. I, I think mine happened by accident. And, uh, and if, you know, so I've heard it said that college is wasted on the young. If I had it to do over again, man, the relationships I would have with those professors, right, w- would be so, so important to me. And I, I don't know how you do that in a, you know, in a virtual setting. It's certainly, certainly more difficult. Um, as, uh, as, you know, students are adapting to this and we're doing online content delivery and, and you know, the, the myriad of changes that are happening in the, in the COVID experience we're all living through, what advice would you have to you know, those students who maybe didn't have that same maturity, uh, like me, right, at, at 18 or 19, what would you, how would you tell them to make the most of the experience they have given the restraints they're living with? My advice would be to not accept the restraints. Hmm. It's a thing where you're not, you know, maybe you're virtual uh, from state to state. Maybe you're, you know, taking classes in Texas, but you live in Utah. Um, and there's a barrier there. If you didn't want to accept the restraints and you wanted to meet with your teacher, there's still a barrier, a barrier of geography. But I would say go find that in your community. There's a bunch of business leaders um, inside of each community in the U.S. that are looking to share knowledge and to help the next generation. And that's something that I was blind to, um, I believe, to a large degree. But, you know, I... I'm not super successful yet. I'm trying to be, but I sit on the other side now and I'm, you know, I'm saying I'm willing and I know that there's other around me that are willing to be that surrogate. You know, if there's stuff in your class that has to do with venture finance or, or some other business or um, some, some deliverable you're trying to learn or work on, I believe that students can network more effectively inside of the business communities that they're in and receive that help, uh, that one-on-one help um, from people that are willing to just do it for fun. Um, oh, man, that's great. Yeah, because I feel the same way as an entrepreneur. I probably take four to five meetings a week with other entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs who are, you know, want to run their idea by, I'm not an investor, right? But they want, they want to run it by me and they want to talk it through before they go to somebody like you or other places. And I hadn't thought of that, but the business, this is a place where the business community and your local community can really step up and fill in some of those gaps. I like that. You, you and I have talked uh, about what we're doing here, right? Where we, we can ensure a student's outcomes. So their earnings in the five years after they graduate, effectively creating a guarantee on your college degree that, that it, it, it can't not work for you, right? If you go, you're gonna make whatever the guaranteed amount was for your major. Yep. What do you think, what kind of impacts do you think that will have on the overall higher educational dynamic? How does that change higher education? How does that change an individual's experience? What do you think? I think it's huge. Um, and this is the reason. I don't know if this is a trend or if it's just where I sit in the world. 
um, and what I'm seeing in a few people. But um, this younger generation that has contemplated college, they are sick and their families are sick at how expensive uh, going to higher education is. Um, and because of that, they start looking at what type of value is derived by the money they're putting in. And I know firsthand from people in my you know, immediate family who they're, you know, for example, uh, whether they're, you know, their spouse wants to hook their wagon to somebody that, you know, has a degree and has a good career path, but that individual is maybe a few years in, is not seeing the value, has stopped believing in the outcome of higher education and thus does not want to finish and looks at all the money spent already and is just fed up. And I'm seeing that a lot, actually. Um, and I don't know if that's an actual national trend, but I think the younger generation doesn't like what they have to spend and doesn't see the value. And because of that, um, you know, there might, you know, be some sort of an exodus. And so what I love about what you're creating is you're fixing uh, sort of both of those problems. You're fixing the, the distaste they have for what they're paying for higher education because of the guarantee on the back end. And then you're with that guarantee, giving some sort of hope to what the value and the outcome can be if they just stick with it and try their hardest. Um, some people will stick with it, but not try their hardest because they're just deflated. Um, and I believe that what you're doing here at degree uh, kind of solves that issue that I'm seeing. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. We, um, we set out to build this when we sort of learned about what I, I consider the, there's a lot of conversation around the problems in higher ed and the, you know, it, tuition has inflated faster than any other thing in the economy for the last 25 years, you know, and the, the high cost of attending and this $1.7 trillion in student let, loan burden and, you know, default rates and, and all the rest of that. A lot of conversation on what's wrong. The Department of Education statistics that just came out, 40% of kids who enroll in a four-year college this year, within six years, will not have graduated from that college. My God. Four in 10. And, and when you add for-profits and community colleges, you know, two-year experiences, 60% um, of kids who enroll in college this year won't finish, which means you get the debt, the debt was immediate, but not the degree. We'll actually make more, higher ed may very well make more families poor than wealthy in America this year. It is unbelievable. And so we set out to, to, to help students persist, right? To address that, to say, look, if you're gonna go to college, not everyone should go to college, but if, you, if you're someone who's going to, you've got to see it all the way through. You've got to finish. Dropping out is the worst thing you can do. So let's, let's, give, let, let's just help you get through. Because, you know, your sophomore year, you're getting behind and everyone else seems happy and like college is working for them. And you think, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a bartender anyway. So why, I've got 10 grand in debt. Why, why should I make it 25? You know, I should just go be the bartender that I'm going to be when, I, when it's all done. There's not going to be a job for me in my field or, you know, whatever it is. And we, we get to be alongside saying, it's okay. You can be a bartender when you're done, but you're going to make 41 grand a year or whatever we guaranteed, right? And uh, if you just stick it out, then then you can't not. And then you send us your tax returns. And if you didn't earn what we said, we'll cut you a check. You know, it, it, the hope is that we could do exactly that thing. And as we've seen how that mission, the mission has not changed, 
but you know, during this period of COVID, um, we've learned how important it can be to give students some some of that confidence even early on. We saw we just saw some data this week that three to twenty one percent of kids who intended to go to school this fall did not. Right, they just didn't enroll. This is likely the least confident generation in American history. Agreed. Yeah. Right. Old enough to remember the Great Recession and the job loss and the fear and unemployment and sort of all of it. And then it's their turn. They take out some loans and there's a pandemic the likes of which we haven't seen in 100 years. And they just, you know, is there going to be a job when I get out? What's the economy going to look like? Higher ed, you know, didn't do itself any favors by spending the last 25 years saying degrees taught online should come with an asterisk. So now you're like, ah, it's going to be online, even though I'm at a major institution. Is it even going to count? Right. Our employers going to care. It, so many questions with no answers that they don't go. And, and we also know empirically that it still works, right? Graduating college is the best way you can protect yourself from an economic downturn. Oh, yeah. um, and I don't mean to monologue here because this is, this is about interviewing you. I just, I care so much about this and, and, uh, and there's an opportunity here to do so much good. This generation has faced enough adversity. What do you think that, like, do you think this will help them as they move into their career fields be more gritty? Will, will they be less risk tolerant because they've seen so much, right? Will they hunker down and go into safe spaces and, and sort of, um, you know, look to the, the safest careers? Or will we see a generation of innovators and inventors and people taking wild risks because, uh, because they've lived through so much uncertainty? What do you think? Oh, man. That's really tough. Um... You know, somebody I work with recently was telling me about a book they read about these uh, human cycles of, you know, generations getting soft because it's so good and then going through hard times and then the people coming out of those hard times, you know, are more hardened people and, and uh, you know, have that true grit. I believe that we're seeing some amazing innovation um, because of what the world looks like today. And uh, this next generation has, they have beautiful minds and would be well served by higher education and pushing all that forward. Um, I have a hope that all these hard times will create that, that true grit inside of them. And I believe that platforms and technologies and, and opportunities um, similar to the company you're building degree uh, is going to provide them with the tools to be able to, you know, push forward their efforts um, that we're seeing uh, little trends of at the moment. As we're, as we're wrapping up here, I'm thinking about, you know, I, obviously we're focused on the college experience and we've, we've addressed that a little bit, but how do you think people like you and me, people running, you know, I'm running a company, running a fund, like people who are mid-career, you know, kind of on their way, came out maybe in a different economic environment. How do guys like, and girls like you and me, what, what role do we play in helping these kids have that right helping these kids develop that maintain that how do we encourage them to be the you know like you said they've got beautiful minds how do we how do we unleash that potential and, and what responsibility do you and i have you were talking about how this generation is is probably the least confident um that's ever been and they've been being hit hard and some things uh just by being a parent of uh, young kids makes me worried about the future and, and some of the hard stuff they're going to go through and I believe that there's a lot of stress for young people. There's a lot of comparing, not only in social media, but also 
you know, in career paths and, and what their parents have done or what their aunts and uncles are, you know, building. And um, I feel like there's a bunch of trepidation there. So I feel like what we can do is to be a spotlight, a calming influence and a support. And what I mean by that is highlighting for them, spotlighting for them, what's so great about them and always pumping them with that. Um, not to the point where they feel entitled or too confident, but to the point where they get confidence in themselves to be able to fight for their dreams, I think is super important. And then the other part is being that support that I alluded to in the beginning, you know, the new trends uh, in their world is, is changing the dynamics. And if we can just be there to support without asking anything in return from them, um, I believe that we'll, you know, help the next generation create something amazing. Well, I, I gotta say, Davis, I've done, you know, quite a few of these podcasts now and uh, the depth and the emotion with which you, you speak and and, uh, and you can hear how much, how genuine you are and how much you care. I, I really appreciate you sharing that uh, with us today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, I've loved it. Thank you so much. That's uh it's fun to slow down and think about things that I don't know if the words are really matter, but the more meaningful things in life. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. You've been listening to me, Wade Ierly, co-founder of Degree Insurance, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream. Find out more on our website, degreeinsurance.co, or follow our podcast at americandream.fm. You can also follow us on Twitter at Degree Insurance. Thank you. is a Right Angles production. You can find out more by visiting rightangles.global.